This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. From MPB Think Radio, it's Creature Comforts, the show all about you and the animals around you. I'm Sherita Brent here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson. Kevin Farrell and Libby Hartfield are out this week. Our guest today is aquarium keeper John Hardy. Today we'll put our focus on the two-headed snake at the Mississippi Science Museum in, Nat- in Jackson. How did the snake grow two heads? Is it male or female? How does it eat? Do you feed both heads or just one? You can join the conversation this morning by calling one eight seven seven mpb ring That's 877-672-7464. Or send an email to animals at mpbonline.org. This is Creature Comforts from MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. And welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. This is the show all about you and your animals. I'm Sharita Brent here with Troy Major, Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson. Kevin Farrell and Libby Hartfield are out this week, but our guest today is aquarium keeper John Hardy. And today we're going to put our focus on the two-headed snake at the Mississippi Science Museum in Jackson. I have seen it and it is very interesting, so really excited to learn all about it. We'll find out how the snake grew two heads. Is it male or female? How does it eat? Do you feed both heads or just one? You can join our conversation this morning by calling 877-MPB-RING if you have any questions or comments about the two-headed snake, snakes in general, or any pet questions as we do have Dr. Major here. So all our lines are open. The number is 877-672-7464 or you can send an email to animals at mpbonline.org. And just a reminder, if you happen to miss Creature Comforts on Thursday mornings, it repeats on Saturday mornings at 6. Good morning, Dr. Major and John. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you both uh, so much for being here with us. Uh, Dr. Major, we can start with you. Tell us a little bit about what's new in the pet world. Well, uh, I guess as long as I've been in practice, it's very little new. It kind of rotates around just like everything else. You Mm -hmm. know, we have hit by cars, had several of those this week. Uh, We have uh, heat exhaustion, uh, as you can imagine, and really needs to be emphasized, as we always do, that your pets that are outside uh, need adequate water and shelter. They need some way to get out of the sun. Mm. And also emphasize not leaving your pet in a car. Uh, that temperature can get up to 140, 160 degrees pretty rapidly. Who knows how hot it gets when our heat index is 110. Yeah. But uh, those are things that we see. Fleas, ticks, those are very, very much in, in what shall I say, uh, have increased in number in the last uh, month. And uh, these are all things that we do see pretty much on a regular basis. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned uh, animals uh, getting hit by cars. Uh, in some neighborhoods, you see what many would consider neighborhood animals. So they're just kind of out. Their presence is, is always known. Uh, do you just encourage folks to just look behind before they back out? Or, I mean, because sometimes the, the, the dogs and animals kind of 
act like they run the street and they don't want to get out of the way. So uh, well, is there in, a safe way? In a lot of cases, the uh, family or owner of the pet might be the one that actually hits the animal. Mm. Sometimes an animal might be asleep under the car and not aware that, uh, especially if it's older and can't hear very well, uh, always good to check that out. Uh, and as you said, just from the standpoint of good, uh, what should I say, drivership, always look behind, be sure there's no animals there, but also kids. I mean, this is something that you need to be doing anyway. Yeah. But we we don't see as many hit by cars as we used to back uh, 10, 15 years ago. People are taking better care of their pets as far as keeping them up, uh, but it does happen. And uh, just uh, take care and observe your surroundings. Um, and I know it's really important for people to stay hydrated. Um, and I, I think many of us are under the impression that animals can endure more when it comes to heat or when it comes to cold. We think, oh, you know, they'll be okay and they may not need as much hydration as, as we do. Uh, but do you disagree with that? You think they need just as much as us? They need access, uh, constant access. It's hard to know individually how much uh, they would need maybe. But, you know, our dogs, uh, how do they dissipate heat? And by panning a lot of mostly and but pads are their feet mm. uh they usually don't sweat there's usually not a situation where a dog could sweat but uh plenty of water available for for the dogs and cats and other animals uh if you have we have quite a number of people that have uh neighborhood chickens uh they have mm. uh goats small other small animals other than dogs and cats but adequate water is very important yeah. All right. Uh, and we have our guest in studio with us this morning, aquarium keeper, John Hardy. John, good morning. Thank you so much for being in today. Good morning. Uh, so tell us a little bit about your role at the museum. How long have you been there? Um, <clears throat> I've been there about seven years. Um, my role is I, I take care of a lot of saltwater um, aquariums and um, I do take care of all the snakes at the museum venomous and non-venomous and of course the superstar which is the two-headed snake and what's the the two-headed snake's name uh <laughs> well there's or a names. story behind that there's um uh, in aquariums we we kind of have this thing where it's bad luck to name things so, oh, <laughs> so okay i'm not going to tell you the story behind that but I, there are other two-headed snakes that i've read about um, pr pretty interesting names i think one in a uh, european uh facility was named we Oh, okay. That makes sense. <laughs> well, I've been to the Natural Science Museum many times and I've seen the two-headed snake and I could only look at it so long before I just got completely creeped out, but it was intriguing nonetheless. So uh, talk with us about how long that particular snake has been at the museum. Well, I think earlier on you re you referred to it as creepy. I think when you announced it, you said yeah. interesting. That yeah. was very nice of you. <laughs> um, but the, the two-headed snake has been there for 13 years. Mm, okay. Yeah. Um, so I'm sure it's rather popular. You said it's a, a superstar. Uh, so you probably get a lot of questions. How old is it? Yeah, it, uh, it's been there 13 years and it's 13 years old. Okay, so, so we kind of we birth. know that um, a lot of times when you collect a snake out of the wild, which a lot of the animals that you see at our museum, it's kind of different than a lot of facilities you might go to around the world in that um, probably more than 90% of what we have is collected uh, by staff members from the wild. Mm -hmm. And so typically when you would catch um, a rat snake, you're not going to know how old it is. Um, if it's an adult, you, you just really won't know. You'll know if it's older or, you know, it's really large, it's going to be an older snake. With this snake, though, um, 
it was caught as a hatchling. So it was very small Mm -hmm. and had, uh, it was that season's uh, hatchling. So Mm -hmm. that's, that's why we can predict the age of it. Um, And that's probably why it's alive today is because it was found as a hatchling. These animals, um, I've, I've even gotten some messages over, we've had some media as of late and I, you know, I got a message that was like, Oh, this is not that big of a deal. This happens all the time. Well, it does happen more often than some people think, Mm -hmm. but what's uh, different is whether it survives or not. So if it's a captive bred animal, um, then people are paying attention and can feed it. If this happens in the wild, he's got to get that first male or that animal's got to get that first meal. And, um, that's really difficult with two brains kind of trying yeah. to control the body. So, uh, so would should we look at it as one animal with two heads or two animals with one body? Um, I, I, take your pick. Oh, okay. <laughs> so it, yeah, it's one animal with, but it has uh, two heads and two brains, and it's Does it's, it? um, you know, they're both functional. And um, yeah, that's a great question. I don't. You, there, you can chime in on that. But you actually have. Uh, at least as from observation and everything, you have a dominant head, a head that uh, is more more dominant than the other. Right? Absolutely. Right. Yes. The right head seems to be more in control of the muscle function. Mm-hmm. And um, that kind of goes into um, the knowledge that comes from feeding is, is how we know that and, mm-hmm. and how it's reacting while we're trying to feed the animal. Because I imagine uh, the brains may collide at some point. You know, maybe one head is like, well, I'm ready to go to sleep. And the other's like, well, I want to be awake. Uh, so do they get along? <laughs> <laughs> that's a that's a wonderful question. So early on when uh, the snake was younger, and I wasn't working at the museum at this time. So a lot of this knowledge has just been passed down to me. But uh, from my understanding, the, the snake was housed in an exhibit that had um, kind of a a fake stone background. A lot of our aquariums have that. Mm-hmm. And um, the right head would scrape the left head against the, the background over and over repetitively. And it caused injury to the animal. Mm. And so um, I don't know if that's homicide or, yeah, or yeah. suicide that it was an attempt there. Um, I've been told it mm. might be fratricide. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but it, uh, anyway, they were able to remove the animal from that, uh, heal him up, get him healed up in a quarantine situation and then getting back out on, on display. Um, so even in captivity, um, there, there are just things that can happen that you're not really expecting. So we have to, uh, a lot get asked a lot. Why don't you have, all this decoration and his, his tank uh, might look a little drab or something. Well, mm-hmm. it, it's for his own protection. We don't put a whole bunch of things that he could injure himself on in there. So. Okay. Well, I'm curious about the feeding process uh, because apparently that's, that's rather important. Um, do you feed both heads? Uh, what is the feeding process like? Yeah. So, uh, and I get asked that question a lot and my answer is that yes, I do. And uh, probably not because it's necessary, but because I'm a nice guy. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so both heads want to eat. I always, what I say to kids that ask me that question, usually I'm like, okay, if you had a conjoined twin brother and you shared stomachs and um, you, you went to Penn's buffet and he got to eat <laughs> and you just had to sit there, you'd be pretty miserable. So, right, uh, right. so the snakes love to eat just like we do. And um, I, I try to satisfy both heads, but what I do is I feed the right head first okay, and that makes it easier because he's more dominant 
and I can get the food to him, kind of get the right head satisfied, and then I'll move on to, and it makes it easier for me to uh, feed the left head. And um, we're in a good situation with the R2 headed snake in that the separation is pretty far up. Mm. Um, There are snakes that where the separation is further down. And so the heads have a lot more freedom of movement. And so you can get into bad situations Mm. to where, one might swallow the other head trying to get the other piece of food. Oh my goodness. Now I've watched people feed those snakes. Um, and one of the tricks that they use is they'll place a playing card in between the two heads and then feed the, the other head. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of, and they go back and forth. Like, Oh, that. I have, so all we don't these, have to do that. These visuals and chills and things. I'm so glad you didn't bring it in this morning. <laughs> okay. We're going to take a quick break and we get back. We'll continue talking about the two headed snake, which is at the Mississippi museum of natural science. And uh, we'll continue talking about that after, after the break. If you have any common questions about snakes, uh, whether or not, how to identify one that's poisonous from venomous, you can give us a call. And additionally, if you have any pet questions, Dr. Troy major is here and we, can get to those as well. The number is 877-MPB-RING. All our lines are currently open, so you can give us a call, 877-672-7464, or email animals at mpbonline.org. This is Think Radio. Support for MPB comes from Grammy Museum Mississippi, offering free admission and a pass to a world of intimate performances, lectures, and events for members. Information on planning a visit or becoming a member at grammymuseumms.org. Hi, I'm Dr. Michelle Owens, host of Southern Remedy for Women, here to warn you about an upcoming epidemic of license plate envy. Yes, it's coming after you see someone driving around with a new MPB car tag. It's the latest way you can support Mississippi Public Broadcasting continue the mission of educating, informing, and entertaining Mississippians. This epidemic is easily remedied by visiting mpbonline.org slash car tag to pre-order yours today. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. And welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. I'm Sharita Brent, joined in studio this morning by Dr. Choi Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, and aquarium keeper John Hardy, Kevin Farrell, and Libby Hartfield are out this week. But this morning we're talking about the two-headed snake that is on display at the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. And we're also talking in general about snakes. So if you have any comments or questions, you can give us a call at 877-MPB-RING. If you have any questions about snakes, what to do when you see one, if you're having any issues with snakes and you're just trying to figure out, um, you know, uh, how to manage them if they're on your property, you can call us at 877-MPB-RING. Additionally, if you have any pet questions about your cats, dogs, birds, anything you have, um, you can give us a call at 877-672-7464 or email animals at mpbonline.org. Uh, John, earlier you had mentioned um, 
you know, that, well, some people don't feel like the two-headed snake is a rarity, but the key is uh, being able to keep it alive. So um, are there any key things that would extend the lifespan of a two-headed snake? Um, not anything special other than um, keeping it out of trouble from itself mm-hmm. and um, just diet. And just tip, it, it, it's not much different than keeping just a, a, a normal snake. Mm-hmm. Um, and so is the snake a male or female? Well, we believe that it's a male, and we kind of we we kind of got some media a couple of weeks ago that went out to USA Today, and I think they even kind of got a little snarky, put some quotes around the scientists think mm-hmm. it's a male. Like, oh. why wouldn't we know? You know, I kinda, right. I, maybe I read a little bit too much into that, but <laughs> but um, to sex a snake, you have to probe it, um, and we just don't uh, feel that it's necessary to do that mm. because we're not breeding the snake. We're, um, we just don't have a real good reason to, uh, do that. You could injure a snake when you probe them. Mm-hmm. Now there's a very slight chance if you're really good at it and you know, you know how to use the, that little device. Um, it's not a huge risk, but it's a risk. And so we just don't do, we haven't done it. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've not really, um, done a lot of x-rays or things like that or you know taking the snake out of the museum and you know risking transporting it here just to do a simple procedure um i mean i wouldn't say we're being paranoid but we're just being an abundance of caution Mm -hmm. with everything we do too um okay and before we get to the calls dr major i was just curious about um how common is it to see other animals that are too two headed and in addition to snakes i've heard turtles can be two-headed as well you know, there's a lot of conjecture about that, but uh, really, you're right. In in the wild, the survival is very, very iffy that they would survive at all. Mm. Uh, people have brought in uh, numerous uh, multi-legged uh, animals uh, over the years, uh, frogs especially. Uh, but to tell you that it occurs very often, there's a TV show even that uh, shows the oddities that happen. It's kind of like a a show of horrors almost because some of the uh, things that occur really are uh, grotesque, if you will. Mm. But uh, it's it's not a very, I wouldn't think it's a very common occurrence, okay? Okay. And uh, that, I guess the answer to that is no, it doesn't occur that often. Mm-hmm. At least survival is very, very rare. Yeah. A couple calls to get to. Catherine is in Madison with a question. Good morning, Catherine. What do you have for us? Hi. Um, I live on a lake, so I'm just curious as to what type of animals to get to keep at my home to keep snakes at bay. Um, I have a dog currently, and people have suggested get a cat. They're better suited for it. Just, I'm trying to get some feedback as to, to what to do, or is one animal better than the other? Cats are pretty proficient killers, I would say. Not, um, but there's really, um, it's more to do do with um, what you've got around your house, keeping things clean, uh, not having big piles of debris. But if you're uh, on a lake or the reservoir, you're going to probably have diamondback water snakes um, and some other water snakes around this area that are going to come in. And um, that that's probably what you're seeing. Most of the time when people kill what they call a cottonmouth, they're actually killing a non-venomous water snake that's virtually harmless. Mm. Uh, I'm gonna, I'll let you chime in on that. 
Yeah, it, here's here's the issue, of course. And, you know, if you're on a lake, you're going to have some water snakes and or a possible moccasin. Keeping the vegetation down is very important. Uh, and if I had to tell you things, you know, okay, you mentioned cats. The only reason cats are better, I think, is because they're faster than most of the dogs. <laughs> yeah. they, they usually don't get bitten. Uh, they can if they get bitten. It's usually on their foot because they're batting at the, at the snake. Uh, dogs... They go stick their nose on it, and it gets bitten on the nose or the foot. So I would rather your dog not get bitten by a poison snake or the cat either. Now, out in the country, uh, several things that people do, which you're probably not living exactly in the country, but uh, apparently some of the people feel like guinea, guinea hens mm. will be great snake protectors. At least they will alarm you if there's one there. <laughs> and, of course, they make a lot of noise sometimes anyway. And uh, as I understand it, uh, pigs are very proficient at killing snakes. So you, that may not fit in. So your, what, what do you want to do? You want to have a pig on, on your right. property or just got to right. let the snake? Okay. I've seen oh, guineas. Well, that, thank you all. All right, Catherine. Thank so, you. So we didn't help you much, but uh, <laughs> I think keeping the vegetation. I, I don't think we could have a, a pig, but um, yeah, this, I guess keeping the debris would be the, the easiest thing. Mm-hmm. Snakes are there. Keeping all that down. Yeah, vegetation too. And they're usually there for a food source. I mean, that's the reason they come closer to the house, maybe if you have mice or whatever. Keeping a king snake around is a good thing. That, <laughs> that helps cut down on uh, other snakes because they're very aggressive and will kill other snakes. In my yard uh, about a month ago, a king snake was uh, actually eating, killed and eating a copperhead. Oh. So, uh, you know, they're, they're good to have around. King snake, if you have a snake in your uh, repertoire, your yard that is black with white speckles or spots, leave it alone. Don't kill it. It's a good snake. Yeah, wow. especially if you don't like snakes. Right. <laughs> that is the one that you do not want to eliminate. And they will uh, not only kill and eat snakes. Um, if that copperhead was too big for him to swallow and eat, he would still kill it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, they want to be that dominant predator, and they're there for a reason, like uh, like he said, that they're there for food, and they want to eliminate that other competition for that food. They aren't called king for, for nothing, I <laughs> That's guess. That's it. <laughs> I'll tell you, I learned so much on MPB. I mean, if you had said good snake to me some years ago, <laughs> that's an oxymoron. Uh, thank you, Catherine, for your call. We appreciate it. 877-MPB-RING is the number to join the conversation. We're talking about the two-headed snake at the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science and snakes in general. If you have any questions or comments about how to tame snakes or manage them, or if you have any questions about them being poisonous or venomous, you can give us a call. Any pet questions you have, 877-672-7464. We have several lines open. We're going next to Kathy, who's in Mississippi with a question. Good morning, Kathy. Good morning. How are y'all? Doing well. Oh, first I want to say about with the snakes. I still have a paper my mom, and she passed it, but that she had on the different... Uh, types of snakes, and I I really try to focus that if I see a snake, maybe I can see if it's not a fatal one, you know, a poisonous one, and if it's not, leave it alone. But I go into the panic mode. So a few, about two months back when I was cutting my grass and I had my music on with my headphones and I came around the corner and it was a snake up against the wall, and I think I was as scared as it was, but I was screaming and running with the lawnmower. And mm. I wound up cutting the snake up with the lawnmower. Oh. But it, I was Ooh. scared. I was screaming and running. But then if it was a poisonous snake, I was uh, 
afraid that, you know, it might be another one that my daughter or my dog might come into contact with. So mm-hmm. that's what I wind up doing with that. But I didn't mean to, but that I went into panic mode. Oh, but man. I have a question. Oh, well, that was just the confession. Now comes the question, <laughs> yeah. right? <Okay. laughs> that was a confession, and I'm sorry. I'm I'm glad you can get it off your chest. <laughs> go, yeah. go ahead. My question is, um, over the past uh, few months, you know, I planted some um, cucumbers seeds in this long alligated uh, plastic uh, pot and um, you know they were slowly growing and then got to a point they wasn't doing good so and I kept like kind of tilling the soil a little bit but finally when I got up in there and every time I went in there the last two weeks a lizard would come running out of it every time I like kind of messed with the soil and so yesterday the lizard ran out of there and then I looked in the soil and it was these little bitty because at first I thought they were rocks and I was about to throw them away. But it was it was about three or four eggs. Three of them were on top of the soil, and one of them was at the bottom. So since my cucumbers are dead now, what should I do about the eggs? Should I cover up those eggs or leave them where they are? Because it's a lizard. It's like uh, a big one. It's like got black and gray and red striped colors on it. And is that a poisonous? Yeah, what what you probably got there, I don't know about the red, but it's probably a skink, and it's probably laid some eggs, and I would just leave them alone and let nature take its course. Um, oh. But it's not anything dangerous. It's probably a five-line skink, or it's a broadhead skink. It's one of the two, and they're re- really similar. The males of the broadhead uh, skink, you can, you can identify really easy because their heads are very broad, and it, it's kind of got this orange kind of look to the head uh, <clears throat> but the only way to tell for sure is a little scale count of their lip but I don't, I'm not going to recommend that to you it's, that's a hard one for me too so yeah okay well I was just but now back to running with the lawnmower so uh, what I'm going to say is uh, if you see, see a snake like that the best thing to do is just kind of stop and run. You know, step back and don't you don't want to even run <laughs> because especially with the lawnmower you could end up hurting yourself with the running right lawnmower. that's where I thought she was going yeah, yeah. so um, uh, the best thing to do is just kind of uh, take two steps back walk away don't run don't trip over a lot I mean you get you get that animated about something like that, you you could probably, you could injure yourself very easily. So, you so just but wanna... what about her fears of, because many people are afraid of, for their cats and dogs, that if they have small children, you know, if a child encounters a snake, they may not have the sense to just, just walk away. What are your thoughts? I'm never, I'm never going to judge someone that takes action if they have, you know, a, a bunch of kids or a bunch of dogs and they're in a fenced in yard and they've got a dangerous snake there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've, I wouldn't do that. That's just me. That's a personal yeah. choice. I, but I would be able to move that snake safely, and I would never recommend that someone try to do that in mm-hmm. that situation either. I'm not going to advocate either way. But um, the best thing to do, I mean, a lot of those kind of bites happen when people are trying to kill them yeah. or try to move them or trying to catch them or trying to molest them. Um, you know, that's where most of the venomous snake bites come from. Mm. Um, you know, and some are accidental, of course, just somebody maybe cleaning their flower beds or something in a, a, a copperhead who's um, 
they just lay there mm-hmm. and they don't they depend on their camouflage so that's why that venomous snake uh ends up delivering more bites than any of the other venomous snakes the other venomous snakes give you a warning rattlesnake rattles a cottonmouth opens his mouth and wiggles his tail and shows you a big white flag says hey i'm right here leave me alone so mm-hmm. that's a good thing okay uh dr major did you have anything to add Really, uh, I've always thought one of the most dangerous scenes in the world is a, somebody scared of a snake with a hoe. <laughs> and uh, best to just jump back away, and most of these snakes will depart. They'll leave. And uh, when it gets drier, when we have more dry weather, you'll see more snakes looking for water as well. Mm. And uh, it is important to just just use common sense. And most of the snakes that we see are good snakes, but that's hard to get across to a lot of people. Yeah, and we'll talk a little bit after the break about venomous and poisonous and how to identify those things. Kathy, thank you for your call. Good luck to you and that lawnmower. Be thank safe, you. please. <laughs> All right, it's time for our second break. We're going to take it, and uh, when we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about the two-headed snake at the Museum of Natural Science and uh, talk more in general about snakes. How do you know if a snake is poisonous or venomous? What's the difference? Uh, you can give us a call at 877-MPB-RING. If you've had snakes in your yard, let us know how you responded. Uh, if you have any pet questions about your cats or dogs or any other other pets, give us a call 877-672-7464. All our lines are currently open. That's 877-MPB-RING or go to animals at mpbonline.org to send an email. This is Think Radio on MPB. and 27 years ago, the first U.S. president took office. Next year, the 45th will. Follow History in the Making right here on this station. Listen every day. Weekdays at 4 on MPB Think Radio. Hi, I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart. Join me each Thursday for Southern Remedy Kids and Teens on MPB Think Radio. Each week we talk with you about the health issues that are facing your children. From acne to concussions to diaper rashes and tonsils, from potty training to allergies to braces, and everything in between. It's Mississippi's free weekly pediatric clinic on the radio. Listen to any of our episodes on demand through the MPB Public Radio app and online at mpbonline.org. Southern Remedy Kids and Teens, this morning at 11 on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. And welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. I'm Sherita Brent in studio with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson. And our guest today is aquarium keeper John Hardy. This morning we've been talking about the two-headed snake at the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science and the science behind two-headed snakes. And we're discussing snakes in general. So if you have any questions or comments about snakes, are you afraid and you want to ask some questions to kind of help you with your fear of snakes? Do you have some on your property and you're wondering how to deal with them? Give us a 
call at 877-MPB-RING. Additionally, if you have any pet questions about uh, cats, dogs, lizards, uh, any kind of pets you have in your home, outside your home, unwanted pets, call us at 877-672-7464. We do have a few lines open. You can also email animals at mpbonline.org. All right, so we had a mothball question. Do mothballs keep snakes away? If not, what does? And so we just kind of had an interesting conversation about mothballs and, and whether or not that's a myth. Well, um, it's pretty much been debunked. I, I can't. If I walk up to your house and and I smell mothballs, I'm not going to want to come in. But <laughs> and so I, I I can understand that it might keep humans away. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, there's other products out there that you'll see at Walmart. I'm not going to advertise for them, but um. They they include a lot of the same ingredient, um, and it, they I would say no. What works to keep snakes away is not pouring a circle of lime around your house <laughs> or uh, putting mothballs here or there. Um, <clears throat> it's more simple things that you might not think about, what, which would be cut your grass low. Um, keep if you've got stacks of firewood or plywood or just debris like that, clean it up, get it out of there. If you've got food sources, if you've got outside animals and you're putting out food and mm-hmm. water and that's going to bring mice mm-hmm. to that because when your dog walks away, the mice are going to come in and then that creates another food source. Mm-hmm. Uh, bird feeders can create that same situation if you just leave piles of seed under the bird feeders and all that kind of stuff. Um, so that's going to do a lot more than throwing money down the drain on products that claim to uh, you pour a circle around your house and magically keep the snakes away. Interesting. Okay. Uh, we're going to go to the phones. Keith is in Gulfport with a question about fleas. Good morning, Keith. What do you have for us? Hey, hey good morning. Just real quick here. I have an elderly aunt that just uh, had to get rid of a cat that had fleas. But uh, I was trying to get some insight on uh, disposal of the fleas or, you know, getting rid of them and... I have some direction of some bifenthrin, uh spray for the interior of the house and then some type of granular to put onto the yard. And I would like some input on that, please, to rid her of the fleas. Okay, question, question are the cats outside? Are there other cats? Cats in, the cat was inside. Okay, and are there cats outside uh at all. Yes, there are other cats that lived outside. Her cat has now been given away. Okay, I understand. I would be careful with anything that you use inside as long as it's approved. Uh, the, I think you said Lufenuron. Bifendrin. Bifendrin. I, okay. I don't, not, I'm not chemically inclined. Well, I'm not sure exactly what brand that is or whatever. As long as it says, says it's safe to use inside. I would do a good job of vacuuming as well because you'll remove some eggs and larvae. Right. Where the cat, uh, especially if it had a bed, I would remove the bed, either uh, dispose of it completely or uh, sanitize it, uh, but probably best to dispose of it since she no longer has the cat. Uh, Carpet and sofa, that sort of thing, are always uh, issues where fleas could uh, lay their eggs and you could get larvae, this sort of thing, just sitting there waiting to hatch out. Outside, uh, it, it may be better to uh, consult with the pest control uh, there because if you have cats outside, you need to find out where they're staying in particular and 
treat that area as well. If they are your mother's cats, uh, I would say they need to be treated for fleas if they're being fed there at, at your house because they're going to be a constant source of fleas and treating the yard is not going to help if you're not treating the cats as well. Right. Okay. Okay, so I I understand, and I appreciate your help with it. Well, best of luck, and it's difficult when you get uh, flea infestation in the house, but be careful. You don't want to poison anybody as well. Take care. Okay. Keith, thank you. Thank you much. Thank you. Thank you for your call. Um, I wanted to ask really quickly before we get to the other calls about how to identify a poisonous versus a venomous snake. What's the difference between the two? Okay, well, um, the snakes that we have that you're speaking of would be a venomous snake. Um, like the venomous snakes that we have in Mississippi are going to be things like an eastern diamondback rattlesnake or um, a copperhead or a cottonmouth. <clears throat> and there's a few more, but those are kind of the main characters and players around here. As far as rattlesnakes, um, it would be a timber rattlesnake that you mm-hmm. might encounter. But um, your venomous snakes here in central Mississippi um, where right where we live are going to be pit vipers. Okay. And so pit vipers uh, have an elliptical pupil. So the non-venomous snakes that we have around here are going to have a round pupil. And I know you're, I know you're already thinking, I'm not getting close enough to look <laughs> Just, at their eye. Oh, that looks I, like an elliptical. I, I understand that. <laughs> but you'd be surprised if you're standing at quite a distance from a snake. Mm-hmm. If you've got decent vision, you can tell, uh, like I can look and see, a water snake's got a round pupil. Okay. Um, also, uh, of course, everybody goes to the diamond-shaped head kind of situation. That's that's a common statement. And yes, your pit vipers have uh, a triangular type head. They they've got two big venom sacs that make their head larger in that way. The problem is if you approach um, a water snake with a hoe, he's going to go into a defensive pattern and he can flatten his head and spread it out and it will look very mm. diamond shaped. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so there's also some scale patterns. So, and there again, the, the scales on the tail are different on these pit vipers than a non-venomous snake. And people are, well, I'm not going to lift the skirt of the, the snake and right. see what's going on there. But, um, if you find a shed around your house, you could look at it and tell by um, the the tail scales, like on their single scales on a venomous and uh, double scales on a um, non-venomous. But um, the best thing to do for most people, if you're not able to identify, is just to leave them alone altogether. Yeah. Uh, whether um, whether it's venomous or non-venomous. Um, you just leave them alone. Okay. Yeah. And then, then some, you know, the difference, everyone says poisonous. Um, but those are different, of, right? They, well, they are. So some, poison would be something, considered something that you would ingest and makes you sick, whereas venomous would be a, an animal or, like, like, let's say a lionfish is a venomous animal. He doesn't have fangs, but he has venomous spines mm-hmm. that if you were stuck by those spines. And um, the same with... Uh, like a puffer fish has spines, but they're not venomous. If you okay. eat the inside, though, it's got a gland that's very toxic. So, okay. So we have one snake also, though, in Mississippi that kind of defies all those rules, and it's called the coral snake. Mm-hmm. And that's where uh, you've heard that nursery rhyme probably. It's red touch yellow, kill a fellow, red touch black, friend of Jack. And it refers to the pattern of the stripes. And the venomous snake the red stripe touches the yellow on the on the coral snake and 
but he's got round pupils and he's got the double scales and oh, he's got God. all the trick. You know, he he looks like a non-venomous other than that color pattern. Mm-hmm. And uh, those are in South Mississippi. They're it's not that they're rare, but they uh, they don't show themselves very often. I know herpetologists that have uh, their whole careers have never even seen a live one in the wild, mm-hmm. um, and so and they um, they don't really bite that much. So there's okay. been cases where people have picked them up, which don't do that, but right. but where they picked them up and they, they haven't even bitten them. So, all right. Yeah. So, okay. All right. So lots of calls to get to. I was trying to consume all that information. Yeah, that was a lot. All right. With Sorry. The, the triangular. Okay. All right. Uh, I'm just going to have a little notepad. Okay. Check. Check. Well, your notepad is just going to say <laughs> walk away. Yeah. Walk away. I hope I would walk away instead of run away screaming or not have a lawnmower handy. Uh, Eddie is in Jackson with a question. Good morning, Eddie. What do you have for us? Well, hello. Hey. I'm enjoying your show. Thank you. I wanted to ask if it's uh, physically possible for snakes to have more than two heads. I would guess so. I mean, the, Dear God, the no. thing is, um, we I, go into the science of it, and, and I'm going to step out of my pay grade for just a minute here because mm-hmm. um, I'm not – uh, I'm an Aquarius, so but I, I have done a little bit of reading into it. And the language that we have on the current exhibit, or on the our older exhibit, said that essentially they start to split into twins, and for some reason, which is unknown, it they, it stops. Mm. Um, the current science, so it's kind of fission versus fusion, and so the current science really is leaning more towards what happens is it actually divides into twins. And then the stem cells um, on each one of the twins start to join back together mm-hmm. so that it fuses back together. Now, like I said, this is all above me. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I've even spoken to some of the uh, our, our, our people at the museum, and uh, even they were like, well, there's this theory and this theory and this theory. And kind of if they throw their hands up, I, I mean, that's way above my pay grade. So, uh-huh. Dr. Major, maybe you can. Uh, chime in on this. Well, those sound like good theories, and that's exactly what they are. Uh, yes. I, I, I would say that uh, I would defer to geneticists, and if they throw their hands up in the air, let's, uh, you know, it's open for debate. So yep. just good. just Google it, Eddie, because you can find anything <laughs> yeah. on there. But I would say, though, if, if it there were uh, just like triplets, and mm-hmm. then you had that same scenario where uh, the stem cells started reconnecting or, or whatever, whichever way it happens, I guess is possible. And yeah. I'm sure like if, if Google, yeah, like you yep, said, Google three headed something. Now what you're you'll actually going to see, there's Google. a picture of, uh, I think a Cobra with like 10 heads oh, gosh. and, and uh, it is the worst Photoshop that but I've ever mythology. seen. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Thank you for that call. Eddie. we appreciate it. We're going next to Martha in Madison. Good morning, Martha. What do you have for us? Good morning. My question is about a king snake. I would just like some more information. Um, we moved to Madison in 12, and that spring, in early February, that spring, we saw the, the, um, his hive that he had, or she, had uh, left, and we knew that it was uh, non-poisonous snake, and I didn't know what it was. But then the next year, I saw the hide pretty much in the same place, and then I found the snake. Um, and he, um, I want him around, but this year, no sign whatsoever. And I just wondered 
what is their lifespan or if they go away. I had always thought that they stayed near where they were, quote, hatched. But we've invaded their territory. Well, the um, the snake will will stay around. It can stay around. It could move around. It, it, if he's still got a food source and he's still got a reason to be there and there's water and there's habitat and there's... He's found it to be a good spot, and then they're going to stick around. And um, if if that's eliminated and um, maybe um, the conditions aren't the same, and uh, they will move on as well. These snakes are excellent trackers. They can actually uh, scent track a mouse uh, for quite a ways. So if the food source moves, the snake may have well, moved uh, as well. I'm hoping the food source has moved. It, there's a vacant <laughs> lot behind us, right. and we've had problems with rats, and we have gotten rid of that problem. So maybe the snake just doesn't have enough rats. <laughs> Did somebody build on that lot? Not yet, and okay. they're not supposed. You know, it does. It it's touted that they won't. So <laughs> it's you. just going to be um, lots of brush and lots of you know stuff that um, it's just over the fence. But anyway, I, I just, you know, I, I just missed him this year. and um, Well, that's a good it. attitude to have that you missed him, and I hope <laughs> that he comes back. <laughs> I do, too. I've had garter snakes, and, you know, I know that they, they really do keep the other population down, so that's why I was glad he was in my yard. Thank you very much. I All right. You. Show. Thank Bye-bye. you, Martha. We appreciate your call. Yeah, the good thing is that um, they're eliminating, you know, we talk about the king snake killing other snakes. Really, the great thing is it's killing the mice. I mean, you you got a lot more danger from mice being around mm-hmm. with kids and I mean, than, than you do any snake. Yeah. We need to take a quick break. And when we get back, we have a couple calls to get to Joe and Andy. We'll get to you after this break. 877-MPB-RING is the number. If you want to join the conversation, we've been talking about snakes. If you have any questions about snakes, how to manage them if they're on your property, maybe you're afraid of them and you need some help overcoming that fear. If you have any pet questions, 877-672-7464 is the number. Or email animals at mpbonline.org. This is Think Radio. Twenty-seven years ago, the first U.S. president took office. Next year, the 45th will. Follow history in the making right here on this station. Listen every day. Weekdays at 4 on MPB Think Radio. We're here in Cleveland as the Republicans wrap up their convention. Tonight, Donald Trump will accept the nomination. NPR and PBS NewsHour have teamed up to bring you live coverage each night. I'm Rachel Martin. Join me, Judy Woodruff, and Gwen Eiffel for speeches, interviews, and analysis live from the arena. It's special coverage of the Republican National Convention from PBS NewsHour and NPR News. Tonight at 7 on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. 
To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. And welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. I'm Sherita Brent, joined by Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, and aquarium keeper John Hardy. Kevin Farrell and Libby Hartfield are out this week. Uh, we have several calls to get to. We are going first to Joe, who's in Brookhaven with a comment. Good morning, Joe. Uh, yes, ma'am. Hey, what do you have for us? Okay, I have half a shirt. I'm talking about getting rid of the fleas. Okay. I used to have dogs. My kids raised them all the time, and we had problems every summer with fleas in the, in, you know, in the house or whatever. And I went to, I was working around a kennel, and I asked the guy, I said, how y'all keep the fleas down? And what they used was salt, like the salt from the bees to back for cows. I mean, I got that salt, and you spread it all over the place, and those fleas or something about them, they eat that salt and, until they bust. Mm. And, I mean, it gets rid of the salt, get rid of the fleas. Okay. What kind of salt? Just, you know, like if you go to a feed store and just buy some salt that they mix up in the, in the cow feed. Okay. I suspect I mean, what happens there, the uh, eggs and larvae would dehydrate from that. Some people use uh, boric acid uh, and uh, that sort of thing. Uh, well, see, the right. salt is white, and fleas like white. Really? Okay. And well, they'll eat until they bust. I mean, you, I mean, you just, my kids, they just... I mean, when we put it out two or three days later, you can vacuum your house and don't worry about fleas no more. Wow. That's a good suggestion. Thank you. All right, appreciate Joe. It. We appreciate right. that. Thank you. Okay, we're going next to Andy, who's in Clinton. Good morning, Andy. What do you have for us? Morning. Hey. Uh, hey, uh, I have a quick question. Uh, what if you are bitten by a snake and you don't know what snake is that and what action you need to take uh, uh, soon after you realize that you have been bitten by a snake? Mm, okay. You're going to know really quick. If you have been bitten by a venomous snake or a non-venomous snake, um, and I've never been bitten by a venomous snake, I work with them a lot, and uh, I'm gonna do a little <laughs> knock on wood there. But um, from what I've been told, I've talked to other people that have been, and you know, uh, the pain, the the swelling, uh, it's going to be pretty quick, and and you're going to be pretty sure. And then bitten by a non venomous snake, it, it's just going to hurt your feelings a little bit. Mm. Just like with uh, with our pets, with dogs, when they're bitten by a venomous snake, almost immediately there's pain and swelling. Uh, so I would agree that that's probably the most common thing that you would see, uh, if possible. And don't get bitten again, if possible. It would be good to have the snake available for a doctor or someone to look at and see that it was. But you would know, and I agree with that, because we see a fair number of uh, snake bites in dogs every year. We've seen some already, and usually they're okay, but then occasionally we'll get one that's just really, really uh, toxic and can can cause a lot of problems. Uh, That would be pretty much what you would see. Okay, Andy, thank you so much for your call. Uh, we're going next to, I believe this is Holly in Loosedale. Good morning, Holly. Good morning. Hey, how's it going? Good. Um, I had a couple of things, but the first one I wanted to, to tell you is, like, we live on a, we've got about 99 acres, but we're really careful with snakes unless they, you know, come in the yard or anything. We, we don't bother them and they don't bother us. And also, you can always tell if there's a, a snake around by the circling of the cats because they, you know, they're right on top of that. But I want to tell you a really cute story. We were playing in a tennis tournament over in uh, Gulf Shores in Alabama, 
And one of the girls was sitting out on the front porch, and she started screaming. And we all ran out there, and a snake had climbed up the screen behind her in the chair. And they were all, you know, yelling to get something to kill it with. And I was going, no, don't kill it, don't kill it. It's just, it was like a corn snake or rat snake or something. I convinced them finally, you know, to leave it alone, leave it alone. It, you know, was going to go away. And the next day, the property manager came to the condo and thanked me. He said that when they built the condominiums, um, the residents had complained about the snake, snake problem there. So they eliminated all the snakes. Then they had a rat problem. But, but what he, so what he did is he brought in the non-poisonous snakes to take care of the rats. And he said he really appreciated them not, you know, killing the snake. But I thought that was so great of them to do it environmentally, you know, yeah. and instead of putting something out that would not only kill, you know, the rats, but the mice, the um, uh, any other predators that were around there, you know, the birds, et cetera, et cetera. But anyway, mm-hmm. um, people just freak out about snakes. Yeah. <laughs> Good call, Holly. Thank you so much. We we appreciate it. That's a, a great way to end the show. Danny, we are not going to get to your call because we've reached the end of the show. You can send us an email to animals at mpbonline.org, Danny, uh, but thank you for holding. Uh, John, thank you so much for being in with us I this morning. I appreciate it. We Thanks. appreciate it, Dr. Major, you as well. That's going to wrap us up. Creature Comforts is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio and the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. Funding is provided in part by the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science Foundation and contributions from listeners like you. To hear today's show or previous shows, visit mpbonline.org slash creature comforts. Today's show was produced by Jonas Adams and our call screener was Sam Wells. For Dr. Major and John Hardy, I'm Sherita Brent. Up next at 10 a.m. is MPB Season Pass with Jay White and Sam Wells. And tune in next Thursday at 9 for Creature Comforts only on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.